Uh, we, we no longer have CNN on the television in the studio. We now have uh, the first day of official competition at the Winter Games in, uh, in Sochi. Uh, it's silly, isn't it? Figure skating, you Figure mean? Figure skating. All, all the winter sports are silly. <laughs> if you from a, come from a country where there's very little snow, if you come from Switzerland or Austria, then you think a lot of the things that we do, like cricket, are silly. There is that, isn't there that one amazing event where they have to, to ski and shoot at the same time, like James Bond? Yes. That's, that's something quite special. That's done. called the biathlon, something. No, it's only two. They only do two things. John, there, was, is, there is a variant in Sweden where they make love as well. That's okay. called a triumph. <laughs> I was tickled to read the news today about um, the faux lesbian duo Tattoo performing at the official opening of the Winter Olympics tonight. Do you remember Tattoo? Mm, a, 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 hold on a second. Sean's going to remind us while, while she looks on the system. Keep talking. <laughs> so Tattoo was that fairly awful, cheesy two-girl band who came out uh, about a decade ago. Who's... You mean they came out as in declaring their, no. their well, gender preference? Of. Oh, no. Oh, please, please, please. Enough. enough. That's, I'd rather listen to Vladimir Putin. I wouldn't. No, they came out and their gimmick was that they were lesbians and in a relationship with each other. And their number one hit was that, that song that John played, All the Things She Said. And then a few years later, they said, no, no. Was just, it was just a gimmick, and they told the son that they were tired of pretending to be lesbians <laughs> and gave it all up. But it is nonetheless, must be said, quite an ironic choice for anti-gay Putin to get them to lead the show. A very powerful uh, cartoon by Jonathan Shapiro, Zapiro in the Mail and Guardian today. It has Vladimir Putin looking very diabolical at the bottom of a ski slope. Uh, Sochi 2014, the five Olympic rings, and at the top, it's very, very seldom that Jonathan uses colour in his cartoons. Mm. And there he's got uh, some, at the top, of some really thuggish-looking security officers. And they are about to knock gays and dissidents down the slope bleeding it's a very very powerful cartoon gracious very very powerful google of course doing their bit as well today did you see yes i did Mm, nice little google Google doodle with a quote from the olympic charter upholding equal rights for all Mm, which they're not doing and Vladimir Putin saying uh, um, things are working technologically. All our spy cameras in the hotels seem to be functioning fine. <laughs> it's not quite sure whether that was heavy-handed r- Russian humour. With <laughs> I'm to tell. Listen, I've been for my sins having CNN and Piers Morgan on as I prepare for the show every day between half past two and three. And a couple of days ago, he was doing a lot about the latest allegations against Woody Allen and the open letter published on um, the blogger's website, New York Times website, by Mia Farrow's adopted daughter. And it's it's an extraordinary story, isn't it? Um, mm. Resuscitated 20 years after the original allegations were made and never prosecuted in a court of law. I was unclear, actually, on the motivation behind the timing of Dylan Farrow's letter. Was it just that Woody Allen was fated recently at the, the Golden Globes and the family seems to have responded to outrage with that? That is, that is the less than cynical. Mm. explanation of it. One of the pieces, when I talked about it, and, and I read out most of Dylan Farrow's open letter, which is really powerful mm. stuff. Chilling. Absolutely chilling. You, with 
Knowing nothing else about the story, you read that and your immediate response, 999,999 people out of a million would say, I am sure she's telling the truth. But then you read more widely and all of a sudden it becomes less certain. Um, One of the pieces was um, a guy from The Guardian who suggested that this is kind of really cynically, brutally been engineered in order to provide a profile to Ronan Farrow adopted son of Mia Farrow, who three weeks ago was a nobody without a nut job and is now a highly paid commentator and analyst on MSNBC. Respectfully disagree. I mean, Roman Farrow has been pretty hotshot for years. He had a huge Twitter following even up until that point. He's extremely good-looking, which doesn't hurt. He's been a political advisor to all kinds of people. He's a Rhodes Scholar, incredibly um, like a prodigy, entered entered university really young. I mean, he's got a, he's a remarkably talented young man in his own right. I wouldn't say that he he would need that at all, or that indeed that he would welcome that association necessarily. What with his personal brand, which is very much sort of, I don't know, an all American, up and coming young man, and he really hasn't flaunted his Alan links at all, as far as I can see. Because I mean, the, this uh, the um, Michael Wolf, who is the media commentator, media specialist for for the Guardian, mm. says in his piece. Um, The larger context for this rehash scandal is not a pattern of abuse or the ongoing dysfunctions of a celebrated family, but rather the demands of a publicity rollout. 21 years after the event, all parties long quiet. A story is revived. It is an old scandal for a new generation. The impetus seems to be to establish Mia Farrow as a celebrity activist worthy of the world stage and as well to launch a public career for her son, Ronan. So... I mean, Ronan is involved in the most tangential of manners, though. Hardly any of the commentary has focused on him very much. But it really was his tweet at the Golden Globes that precipitated a response from um, whatever his name was who who defended uh, the guy who'd made the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And it was once Bob Wider's piece had appeared on The Beast that the open letter then came from Dylan Farrow. Right. Okay, I see the, I see the timeline there. Sure. I mean, I think that is breathtakingly cynical as a suggestion, but maybe I'm naive, John. I mean, it just seems to me that sexual abuse allegations are so painful to rehash, I would imagine. And the responses we've seen has been, I mean, by no means unequivocally in Dylan Farrow's favor. That if it was, then, I mean, surely they must they must feel it's backfired because I just don't understand. I, I, I mean, I just can't believe that cynicism because I don't know who, what kind of a mother would put her daughter through that again. I mean, the idea that Mia Farah has coached her daughter to lie about this terrible allegation for 20 years and she has told the same story consistently purely in order to tarnish the reputation of Woody Allen at a no doubt horrific cost to her daughter's own development just strikes me as so dark that I just can't believe myself, bring myself to believe it, John. Uh, you, you, you've read Bob Vida's piece I have. on The Beast. And I mean, he, he makes Mia Farrow out to be quite possibly the sort of person that would be that dark. He does, and that is his agenda, very mm. much so. And as a later piece pointed out, all you need to know about Bob White is to go to his Twitter page and see his profile picture, which is him and Woody arm in arm. I mean, he, it was very much my pal Woody, and he had to defend Woody by um, casting aspersions on Mia Farrow's reputation, which is also sort of completely irrelevant to the allegation at hand. Mm. But as people have said, you can't very much, well attack the character of a seven-year-old sexual abuse victim, so you go after the mother instead. Yeah. I mean, it's, that was cynical to me, that piece. 
And the fact that he prefaces the piece by saying, of course, one doesn't want to engage in sort of victim blaming or victim doubting and then proceeds to completely doubt, doubt his story. It sort of enraged me, John. Yeah. And one of the things that came up in, in the discussion that we had on Tuesday, I think it was, was do, does one go and see a Woody Allen film again? If one does, how, through what frame, through what filter does one view it? I had a lot of people saying that having heard this, having followed the story, they're really sorry that they went to, to see Blue Jasmine. Mm. Uh, can you, I mean, are you morally obliged, ethically obliged, if you have any doubt about Woody Allen, if you think there is at least a chance that he is guilty of what he is charged in this open letter of having done, do you have to not ever go to a Woody Allen movie again? I think it's a very interesting question. Dylan Farrow clearly wants that response from us because she bookended her piece yeah. by saying, now think, what's your favourite Woody Allen film? So she wants you very consciously to make the association between this, the potential sex abuser and the films. I think that... It demands an almost impossible task of, of us, the public, which is, if you take this further, that we just have to then carry out moral background checks on, on everyone. I mean, it also seems, and this is an interesting thing to me, that we increasingly treat sexual violence as a different category because there are many other creative artists who have been convicted of other crimes and people never really make the same the same case of There is it. something special about child abuse. Child abuse, Child absolutely. sexual abuse is, is sui generis. It really is, surely. A hundred percent, I agree. But we also saw, obviously, the same kind of calls around Chris Brown for um, his horrific beating of Rihanna. Whereas a lot of famous artists get away literally with murder, for instance. They don't get away with it, but they might get convicted. And... Um, Somehow that just doesn't seem to be treated in quite the same way, John, which does intrigue me a little bit. And don't get me wrong. You know, as an ardent feminist and somebody who writes often on the topic of sexual violence, I, I, I applaud the idea that sexual violence is being taken seriously here. It just interests me that it does seem a bit of a different category. But, I mean, I think one of the most interesting parallels here is the Roman Plansky case, obviously, the film director who mm. in the 70s raped a 13-year-old girl, and there's no doubt about that. And then in 2003... She came out and wrote a, a piece when they were considering the, the legal matter again and said that she believed that Polanski should be honoured according to the quality of the work. And she said, and I quote, what he does for a living and how good he is at it have nothing to do with me or what he did to me. I don't think it would be fair to take past events into consideration. So when you have his very victim there urging a measure of separation, I mean, it's quite a powerful statement. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how I personally am going to respond. There will be another Woody Allen film, probably towards the end of this year. He does turn them out pretty much on an annual basis. And I don't know, does one... So much will have happened in South Africa that we will have had so many scandals of our own that how, how much will that foreground itself as we make the decision whether to go and see that movie or not? And talking about the scandals that we will have in South Africa, page two and three of the Mail and Guardian today, Oscar Pistorius, on your marks, get set, let the mass hysteria begins, mm, says the Mail and Guardian, a month ahead of the beginning of the trial, contributing to the mass hysteria. I, a 24-hour news channel devoted <laughs> to the Oscar Pistorius matter, we have completely, <laughs> surely, lost all perspective, or are you that fascinated 
I, <laughs> I do think it's absurd, objectively speaking. Now, of course, they're going to hear the matter in the courts next Friday, the arguments on behalf of ENCA for the actual trial to be televised live. And carte blanche also has another application, which to me is slightly separate. So if they were able to televise the trial live, I mean, first of all, I absolutely dread what would happen to national productivity in that month and a bit. I think people would be glued to their TVs. But if they don't, I really... I shudder to think how they're going to fill 24 hours of programming about Pistorius outside the courtroom. I don't know. Um, I, myself, I'm going to have to go to the trial and I will be sitting there for all of it done. You're going to have to. I am being sent there to cover it for the Daily Maverick. With a degree of delight, did you go yay when you were given the assignment? Mixed mixed emotions, John. Mixed emotions. A rainbow, really. Um, I... um, I, I'm not relishing the thought of the scrumming. They're t- trying to take steps to to kind of get a hold on the media scrumming. So they've divided up places per media house for international press in the hope that nobody will be fainting and getting stampeded on. But nonetheless, it's going to be a circus. And that thought is exhausting, I think. And the chances of justice being done, I know that's an incredibly ten meretricious, pompous thing to say. But when when something is as public as this, when thank goodness we don't have the jury system. That's all I, can <laughs> I say. say that so often, John. Can you imagine <laughs> the jury system just taking a, a a jury of your peers from Twitter for God's sake? No, it would be horrific. Hangings in the square every day, I'm sure. Anyway, we'll chat again next week. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Cheers, John. You too.